Rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What a strange idea. When you are reproached for the name of Christ, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. A time when you're not feeling glorified, you're not feeling lifted up, you may feel like the spirit of shame is upon you. I mean, some of those are times when you're doing what you think the Lord wants, but you're suffering for it, and you may even be angry with him. And so the sense of glory seems kind of skewed at such a time. And yet we know that Jesus spoke of a laudable state where we're suffering for his name and to the Beatitudes, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely for my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. Something glorious about being in the company of the prophets and the saints that have gone before. But every now and again, you read one of those kind of heroic tales and It's great to imagine you're in the thick of that, but when things actually begin to fall upon you, you realize it's not quite so glorious a state. The glory of the Lord is not visible to all, to those who have eyes to see. It's not a glory of this world. I found that through the Easter season this year that the reflections of St. John Henry Newman on the Stations of the Cross, a lot of them keep coming back to me, perhaps because this year we used it use them every Friday instead of just a couple of times. But at the 14th station where the Lord is laid in the tomb, hear his words. Jesus, when he was nearest to his everlasting triumph, seemed to be farthest from triumphing. When he was nearest upon entering upon his kingdom and exercising all power in heaven and earth, he was lying dead in a cave of the rock. He was wrapped round in burying clothes and confined within a sepulcher of stone, when he was soon to have a glorified spiritual body, which could penetrate all substances, go to and fro quicker than thought, and was about to ascend on high. Then he offers the prayer, Make us to trust in thee, O Jesus, that thou wilt display in us a similar providence. Make us sure, O Lord, that the greater is our distress, the nearer we are to thee. The more men scorn us, the more thou dost honor us. The more men insult us, the higher thou wilt exalt us. The more they forget us, the more thou dost keep us in mind. The more they abandon us, the closer thou wilt bring us to thyself. Again, not necessarily glory as the world sees it, but God knows what's going on. And we've got that contrast that I've reflected on some other times through the season between the world's perspective that sees the death, sees the end. The burial is the end of life. It's despair and hopelessness. What God sees is the seed that is now laid carefully in the earth, is buried, is about to burst into life. And just that whole perspective again, that this world moves towards death, the seed life moves towards death. But the life that comes out the life that comes out of, well, the grave, because it is Christ. And that seed is a life that springs up 
into life, roots that go down deep, the fruitfulness that grows up that is a glory beyond anything that one can imagine and a glory beyond anything of the highest of that seed life before. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The glory of God is bound up with His promises, with His perfect will, with His will being fulfilled. I was thinking about that point in the wilderness where, well, it's not in the wilderness, they're actually at Mount Sinai. It's after the incident with the golden calf in Exodus 32. And Moses now dealing with the Lord after the people have been punished, lamenting somewhat about the changing, the shifting in the relationship, yet knows that the Lord promises to be with them and he asks to see God's glory. If you remember that that passage, um, the Lord says, well, you can't. You can't see my face. There's something of this glory that is beyond what you can take in. What I will do is I will pass by. I will let my glory pass by and I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I will proclaim my name. The Lord, I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. So the divine name. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. will show mercy on whom I show mercy. But you cannot see my face, for man cannot see my face and live. The glory that is there, the glory is in the Lord's presence. The glory is in his name being pronounced. His name that again isn't just syllables, but is the very character of who he is. Well, which God are you at the burning bush? Which, which God am I to tell them has sent me to lead you out of Egypt? I am who I am. I'm not a God. I am the one who truly is by whom all others are. The glory of God is in his presence. The glory of God is in his purposes. The glory of God is in his word and his perfect will fulfilled. Talk often about that in the name of Jesus, even, and what it is to act, to pray to be about things in the name of Jesus, that it's got to do with the character of who he is. Not just the name, though there is power in the name, but it's power because of who he is. Jesus, the Son. It's there in his prayer about revealing the Father's glory. It's there in Matthew 11, where Jesus exalts in the Father and Praises him that he's revealed the things he has to the, to the little ones, to the simple ones. But it's, it's only the, the son who knows the father who can reveal him to others. Hebrews 1, the language of the son who reflects the glory of God. Um, that's the reflects the glory. Other translations will say he's the brightness of of his glory. Um, the, the Greek word apogasma is, uh, I like the translation, it's the effulgence, it's the, it's the off flashing, it's, it's the brightness that would be beyond us, except it's there in the face of Jesus, it's there in the presence of him. Well, 
when you hear Jesus in his prayer speaking about the life, surely the glory of God into which we enter, into which we come to have a part, is that life in him. And Jesus is quite clear before the Father that eternal life, well, that's to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory which I had with you before the world was. It's into that life, into that relationship that we're invited in Jesus Christ. It's got to be to do with being with him and being in him. Strangely, though, in keeping with where I started in St. Peter, that drawing near to him and being found in him often is bound up, well, always is bound up with a way of, of suffering, a way of the cross, a way of separation from the things of this world that we might lay hold of that which is, in, is eternal. Romans 5. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. No specific mention of glory there, except the glory in his presence, the hope. Again, we've been talking about hope and hope that is not just kind of a wistful, wishful, it would be nice that, our hope that is in the promise of God and the promises that take flesh in Christ that are given to us. They're substantial, that upon which we are to hold and in which we are to trust. When we go through that way of suffering, Paul rejoices in it, not because the suffering in itself is a good thing, but because in our times of suffering, as we turn to the Lord, we let go of the things that we trust in in this world. Sometimes even what we trust in of ourselves. Sometimes even the faith that we had to learn to hold fast to him alone. Second Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's a... New Testament we have in Greek, and the Greek word for glory is doxa. And in talking of God's glory, it is a substantial thing, but the word itself works well with the things, the appearances of this world. Uh, Dokeo, the verb behind that, is one that can be to think about a thing. It's, it has to do with how things appear as well. And you can If I say that something is apparent, I often mean that it is clear. But if I say it appears to be whatever I'm saying, well, it looks like it. It may or may not be that. And I'm not going to complain about the Greek word doxa here for glory, but when we're reading that, we are thinking about the brightness of glory. We're thinking about what the world sees in glory. We ought to see more deeply than that. But the Hebrew word for glory is kavot. Um, some would say it is kabot, but 
It's a word that quite literally means wheat. And St. Paul is coming out of that Hebrew background. When he talks about glory, he's not talking about just brightness. Yes, Moses shone with the reflected glory of God when he was up the mountain. And yes, there was glory on the mountain top. But he knows of the glory of God that is in the midst of the clouds and of the darkness, in the midst of the tomb. And it's the weight of glory. And when Paul uses those words I read from 2 Corinthians 4, you need to have that in mind. He talks about the things of this world, the suffering. And Paul knew a good deal about suffering and losing things here. He calls that a light thing, a momentary thing. It's a passing thing. And it's set against this weight of glory that is eternal. It's the glory that we have in God. The glory that He gives us a share in by the gift of His Holy Spirit. There's a quotation from St. Irenaeus, second century church father, doctor of the church, theologian, bishop. And some would suggest it's often misquoted as the, the glory of God is man fully alive. It comes in his book Against Heresies. This is one of those interesting places where his he wrote in Greek, but we don't have any copies in Greek of the original text. We have Latin translations. And so um, there are people sometimes who wrestle over what did he actually write? How did he set these things out? But in the context, in the context that he's writing about this glory of God, he's pointing to what is fulfilled in Christ. And so some would suggest that rather than man fully alive with that idea that if we you know, fully realize ourselves or we live up to our potential, we are glorifying God, suggests that it's the living man. And the living man being Christ, Christ as the true man, it's our likeness to him that we're really talking about here. Well, the gift that he gives us, that his glory might fill us, take hold in us as we are emptied of the things of this world is the gift of his Holy Spirit that he pours out in Pentecost. And we'll, you know, we'll celebrate next week in a very particular way that gift at Whit Sunday at Pentecost. But where the gang of disciples that have been gathered together, followers of Jesus, actually become the body of Christ. And in becoming the body, then we come to share in his glory in a unique way. Because as we're his body, we share in the way of his cross. We share in the way of his suffering. As he comes to fill us with his spirit, we come to hold that that weight of his glory within us. And it is a substantial thing. Reflected different times on Hebrews 11. And the translation I like best of faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, we're reminded that faith is a substantial thing. It's not just a shot in the dark. It's laying hold of the hand of Christ, laying hold of the hand of God, knowing that our lives are hid in Christ, hid within God, buried within Him, sharing in that glory because it's as the seed that is buried to spring forth with all that life. I speak of looking ahead to things of His Spirit, and my prayer would be that all of us use especially this next week to be preparing ourselves 
to be asking the Lord to do that real thorough cleansing that we might open ourselves wholly to that gift that he brings, that we might know ourselves to be really alive as his body. But even today, there's nowhere that we get a deeper sense of this whole business of the glory of God than we do in the Mass. The Lord could not come to us in any more vulnerable way, any more small and fragile way than he does. When the monstrance is set on the altar, we see kind of the glorious rays going out and we can, we can adore before him and we think of his glory. But when we come to the altar rail and there in the smallness of a bit of bread that has now become the body of Christ, we have about as fragile an appearance as we can have. I mean, that bread can be taken and trodden upon. It can be spat out of the mouth. It can be cast away on the wind. It ought not to be, because he really and truly is present there. But he comes to us in such smallness, in such in such what would you say? Such a in humility, in that frailty, in a way that, in the world's eyes, is a shameful way. I mean, what kind of God, what kind of God comes in that way to us, but he gives himself to us in that way that we take him into our own flesh. That he feeds us from within, he brings that glory. And that which is this light weight on the tongue actually settles into us as that glorious weight because this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know is not just to know about. It's to have that intimate encounter with him. You know, in earthly terms, the sense of the husband and wife giving themselves to each other wholly, becoming one flesh, is a glimpse, is a glimpse of what God has for us. We let go of ourselves to him. He lets go of himself to us, feeds us, and as I say, brings into our lives that eternal weight of glory. Our appropriate response. Go to Romans 12. When Paul has gathered up all of the things that God has done in Christ, he begins a chapter with therefore or then. You know, in the light of all of this, in view of the mercies of God, I beseech you, brethren, that you may you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, which is your spiritual worship. That he invites us to give ourselves that freely, that in that total vulnerability and humility before him. I've often said that Jesus teaches the, that the kingdom of God is not simply worth more than everything that we have, but is in fact worth everything that we have. Because in his kingdom, as we let go of ourselves in him, he gives himself wholly to us, fills us with that life everlasting. So may it be our fervent prayer that the spirit of glory may not only rest upon us, but fill us, that we might display the renewed likeness and truly glorify him.